Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for um, what this day means. Uh, Every Sunday is a day where we come and celebrate your resurrection. Every day is Resurrection Sunday, where we're reminded that sin, Satan, death has been defeated. It has no power over us. And because of Christ and the cross and the gospel, we are, we are declared to be 100% righteous, 100% holy, and therefore we are in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we have our eternal destination secure with Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray as we, we look at your text this morning that the gospel would be pervasive, the gospel would be evident, and that we would see it, and Lord, that we would, um, we would love it, and that you would teach us to hope in it. We know that the gospel isn't just for unbelievers, but it's for believers every day to live in. And so, Lord, um, I pray for help this morning. I pray that you would help me teach this text accurately. I pray that you would help me make it gospel-centered. And Lord, that it would, um, it would bring you glory and that we would be edified, that we would grow, that we would know Jesus and that we would see Jesus and that we would worship Jesus because of it. All the things that I could possibly say that would not make those things happen. Don't make me say them, Lord. Keep them, keep them away from my mind. Keep them away from my lips. But the things that would make those things happen. Bring them to memory. Bring them to my mouth. Let me speak those things. And Lord, may we leave here ready to serve, ready for action. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So verse 18 through 27, um, we'll go through it. Um, I'm going to attempt it, and then um, we'll jump in. Verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. And so now many Antichrists have already come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and no lie is of the truth. He Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but he who confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. If the anointing abides in you and is... uh, But his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. It is tough for me to try... I had to look like two times, I'm going to confess, but um, in case you were just reading along, you probably know as I skipped a few words. Um, But... What we're looking at here is 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 18. Now, what's been going on is John wrote this letter to believers. John wrote this letter to believers. And one of the main themes of the book of 1 John is to give those who are in Christ 
assurance of their salvation. You look at that in 5.13. He tells us in 5.13. A lot of times, and we, we've seen it just in this set of verses, he tells us why I'm writing. I write to you. I write to you. I'm writing to you. And we see this in 5.13. It says, I write these things to you that write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So he, his, his desire is that you, as a Christian, would know you have eternal life. And he's writing this book to Christians. Um, and as we've been going through, he's kind of given... Um, Three different tests to know that you're in the faith. In chapter 1, he gives us the test of righteousness. Um, and if you see, um, he gives us this test by, making, by writing verses like, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. So this, this test of righteousness is to look at your life and say, is there sin in my life? Is there not sin in my life? If there is sin in my life, then I might not be walking with him. I might not know him. And so he's, he writes verses like, um, like 1-6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Or one eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Or one ten. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Or two four. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. So he's saying the first test that you need to look at to know whether you're in the faith is this test of righteousness. Do you have a? And, and of course, we as, as Christians still sin. But is there a pervasiveness of sin in your life? Is there just a continuance of sin? Is it just, if we look at your life, the pattern of your life is, you are rushing headlong into sin. That's the first kind of test he gives us in chapter 1. The next test that he gives us as we look into chapter 2 is this test of love. The test of love. And we see that in 2, around 9, he says, Whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother is in the light. So we see... Um, that as Christians, not only we are to, we're not supposed to have sin in our lives, but we also are to have love in our lives. We are, it's kind of the opposite of sin. Not only are we not supposed to do bad things, but we're supposed to do good things. And the, the overall test of this is love. Do you love others or do you not love others? So those are kind of the first two tests of assurance. To know that you're in the faith. And now we're going into this next set of verses. Well, in 12, he, he wanted to encourage you because as like I did, as we read those texts, we're like, gosh, I sin all the time and I'm so unloving. And so he, it's 12 through uh, 14, he wants to give us some encouragement. You're in the faith, you know the Father, keep going. And, and one writer that we had, uh, read said, he's, he's assuring you of your salvation. He's, he's saying, all right, you're definitely going to be saved. The victory is yours, so be steadfast. So be steadfast, even though you know you sin, even though you know you don't love people the way you should. All right, so now we're moving on to this next test. The first one was righteousness, their sin. The, the next one was love. Is your life patterned after a love after people? And now this next test is truth. One of the ways to know that you're in the faith is that you understand the faith, that there's truth. And that's kind of what this is. As we look at this, um, I've titled this, uh, this sermon, Antichrist and Assurance. Um, I don't know if that's actually a good title, but I thought it was kind of funny. Um, Antichrist and Assurance. Um, John is actually concerned here about truth. And what we're not talking about, we're not talking about um, because we are such products of postmodernism. Um, perhaps you've heard things like, well, what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. And so John's not interested in truth according to culture, according to the year you live in, um, and all that kind of stuff. So we're not talking about some kind of subjective truth. We're talking about objective truth, absolute truth, which only comes from the Bible, which is his in inerrant word of God. Um, he wants you to know truth. And if you don't know truth, and, and we're talking about theology, 
the big, huge word theology here. Um, it's important that you know things. Um, this is what I mean. Uh, I've got I've got four children, but my two oldest are six and four. And so JC, you know, she's a little bit older. She understands a little bit more than Karis, my four-year-old. And so they're outside and they're playing. And JC says, hey, Karis, we're going to play David and Goliath. And Karis thinks, oh, we're playing Bible stories. That sounds great. Um, JC, I'm David, you're Goliath. And so she starts picking up rocks and just chunking them at her. Well, I'm not lying. No, no. We, we can play Bible, but we don't play David and Goliath, JC, um, which should be obvious because, you know, she knows not to throw rocks. But poor Karis, um, she just thinks, oh, we're playing Bible. That's great. I wonder, spiritually, how many of us are like Karis. We, we don't know anything. We're wandering around thinking, oh, we're playing Bible, we're playing Jesus, but we don't know anything. It's important for us to know if we're in the faith, we need to know who Jesus is, or else we're going to just have rocks thrown at us. Knowledge about Jesus is important. Knowledge matters. Yes, absolutely. John covered it. Sin matters. You shouldn't have sin. Love matters. You should definitely love others. But truth matters. And that's one of the ways that we're going to know whether in the faith. Is that we know things about Jesus. We know Him. Alright. So, he tells us, um, and these verses are are very interesting. Um, I'm going to read 18, but I'm going to come back to 18 because it's not going to be one of my first ones. Um, So, here's kind of the overall thing. Um, What we want to do whenever we're looking at sets of verses, especially ones that are extremely, for me at least, Like, what in the world are you doing here, John? Um, One of the things that we want to look at is, what is John trying to say? What is John trying to say? John's the writer. What is he trying to say to these people? He, He wrote to Christians. He wrote to Christians. And let me just take one little caveat, if you would. Um, if, um, if you're thinking, all right, I know the gospel. I'm assured of my salvation. I feel good. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, click my pen off. I'm going to pray for the people here that I know that probably aren't sure of their salvation and just kind of tune out. Um, John wrote this letter to Christians to assure, he, he, he wrote it to Christians. So if you're a Christian, this, this is for you. This isn't, all right, I'm sure of my salvation. I'm good. Um, this is, this is for you. All right. John wrote this for you. All right. First thing we want to do is know what John is saying. What is John saying? And once we know what the main idea of what John's saying, um, then we want to see how he tries to explain what he's saying. There's a fly around here. That's crazy. Um, anyway, so what I think John's trying to help us see is we need to ha- be assured of our salvation. This is, this is knowing versus not knowing you're in Christ. Knowing versus not knowing you're in Christ. And so each one of these things... There's seven of them, and we're not going to do all seven today. There's just no way. Um, but as we're doing these things, these, these statements I make, um, they're not saying that you are saved, or they're not saying that you aren't saved. I'm going to make a statement, and then after we make that statement, we're going to say, I'm, that's either you are or not. So out of these seven, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the faith. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're not in the faith. Some mean you are in, and some mean you are not in. Um, so we'll just look at them each. As they are. All right, so let's read 18, um, and we're going to come back to 18, but we're going to read 18. It says, Children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that any Christ, he doesn't put the, the definite article there, the, I don't know why. Um, it just says that you have heard that any Christ, the definite article is the word the. Um, he doesn't put that. 
You have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Now, he's talking about the Gnostics, which we've talked about. These are the people that had a wrong doctrine of Jesus. Uh, they didn't believe that Jesus was man. They believed that he was just kind of some spirit thing. We're going to get into all that later. All right. Um, many Antichrists have come, therefore we know it is the last hour. Now, keep that 18 in context. All right. He's, he's talking about heretics. Here he's calling them Antichrist. You know, pretty, pretty strong word to call them, but he's talking about Antichrist. If you spend any time in church, uh, dealt with assurance of salvation, um, 1 John 2.19 is pr- quoted pretty often. Um, and the basic idea is this. How do we know if they're a Christian or not? Well, 1 John 2.19. If, they, if they're in the church for a while, maybe they're a Christian. But if they leave the church well, then, and they leave for good, then, oh, they're not a Christian. And so we can say, you didn't lose your salvation. You just made it, sh- made it you know, known to us that you never were saved. That's kind of what 1 John 2.19 is quoted. But the context is 18. These people are heretics. These people are antichrists. These people don't know Jesus at all. All right, then it says, they went out from us. He's talking about the people that don't know Jesus. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Now, this is interesting. These people were in the church at one point. They were in the church. They, they looked like church members. They smelled like church members. They sung like church members. They talked like church members. They were in the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. Why did they leave? Why did these heretics leave? They went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So when they left... Those who stayed were able to look at them and say, Ah, they aren't Christians. And now we see why. Alright? So, knowing versus not knowing you're in Christ. The first thing is, you've left the church. And I'm going to put, for good. Alright? Because some people leave churches. You know, you move, you, you just get tired of the pastor, whatever. You, he's like, I can't deal with that guy anymore. Um, so you've got to go to somewhere else. So we're not talking about leaving a church we're talking about leaving the church. I'm done with the church. Well, here's the bad news. You can't love Jesus and hate his wife. You can't. If you love Jesus, you're going to love the church. You have to stay. Yes, it's got problems, and so do you, but you have to stay. Um, now, the first thing is, so th- these are dealing, this first one is knowing versus not knowing in, if you're in Christ. You've left the church, which is what 19 says. Or you can say it the opposite. You stayed in church, but we're just going to say you've left the church for good. These people are not in Christ. That's what verse 19 is showing us. They're not in Christ. Um, the, the New Testament commentary says that there is no exception here. That none of these antichrists belong to Jesus. All of the antichrist, all, all the people that left did not belong to him. So there's not like some who leave the church, but they still... There's, there's no like middle ground here those who leave the church and leave the church for good they're done i'm not ever stepping back then the bible is telling us that that gives evidence i'm not saying for sure but it gives evidence that they're not in now for those who are seeking for those who are seeking evidence to know they are saved if you if you struggle with this Am I saved? Am I not? Do I think, I think about this a lot. I want to know. Sometimes I wonder. One piece of evidence that's good for you to know is, are you in a church? If you're not, you need to be. 
You need to be, I'm not saying you need to be in remedy. I'm saying you need to be in one. I would love to have you in remedy. I'm not saying like, don't come. I'm saying, but you need to be in a church. Now, I would, I would never say this. Um, I would never say that you must be a church member to be saved. I would never say that. But I would say that those who seek assurance of their salvation, if you're active in a local body, this produces good evidence. So we all would be well to be active in a local body if we're wanting to know if we're saved. We would do well. Now, of course, there's times where you're not in because of of different circumstances, but the whole overarching theme of your life is you're in. That's producing evidence that you are in Christ. Um, Now, James Boyce, he's a commentator. He says that there is one good effect of this. There is one good effect of this, if there could be one. He says this, the defection, or this that means the fact that these people left, the defection has the effect of purifying the church and revealing both truth and error in true colors. So if you have heretics in your church and they look like church members and they smell like church members and they talk like church members, they are, let's just say Christians. They look like Christians, they talk like Christians, they smell like Christians, whatever. And they leave. When they leave, the church now has become purified in a sense that these people that stayed truly are in Christ. Those that left were never in Christ. Therefore, the ones that we have here are definitely believers. That's a purifying effect. Now, let me, let me explain one thing, though. Um, because we don't just rejoice and say, praise Jesus, the stink left. Um, I, as I said, I have children. And one thing that if you, if, you're, if you have any children at all, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I walk to my couch and I want to sit down and I want to watch TV and I can never turn the TV on. Like I... Where is the, my TV doesn't even have a power button. So like I I can only turn my TV on with my remote. And so with four or at least three that move around, I can never find my remote ever. I mean, it's just, but if we want to watch it, so what do we do? We tear apart the couches. We throw around. We're digging in the things. We're, We're looking for everywhere we can find. It's usually in the couch or under the couch or in one of their toy boxes or whatever. Um, and that's just to watch TV. People are more important than TV. And if, if I would, and if you would probably, dig around for half hour, 45 minutes, for remote control to watch TV, if someone says, I'm done, I'm gone, I'm out, I'm leaving, people are more important than TV. Or whatever it is that you would spend your time on serving what you want at that moment. If someone leaves the church, in the same way I would dig around in my couches and toy boxes and whatever, you go after them. You go after them. You, you don't say, well, good riddance, thank goodness you left, because I didn't like you anyway. Um, you, you go after them and you say, I don't think you understand the gospel. I don't want you to walk away. Walking away means you don't know Jesus, Maybe. And I don't want that to be the case. I want you to know Christ. I want you to know the blessings of being in Christ. I want you to know heaven. I want you to know eternal life with Jesus. Please don't walk away. Please let's have another conversation. Let me have some more time. Let me pray for you. Let me know what I can do. So there's a good effect. It purifies the church. But we do everything we can to get them back. We love them. We go to them. We plead with them. 
Even the people you don't like. Because one of the tests is love. You're you're supposed to love everyone. Alright, so that's the first one. You've left the church for good. Not knowing versus knowing. And of course, those who leave for good are not in, but we as Christians go to them and plead with them. Alright, verse 20. Now, verse 20... Um, and I think verse 27 connect together. So I'm going to use 20 and 27 to make this next point. Um, and they, they're kind of like bookends for this, for this truth here, 20 and 27. Um, this is what 20 says, and then we'll read 27. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. 27 says, but the anointing that you have received from Him, from Jesus, abides in you. All right, so let's just stop there. But the anointing that you have received from him, that's Jesus, abides in you and here. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. <clears throat> now, I know that as, as, as Baptists especially, we might get a little bit nervous when we start talking about the word anointing and what that means. Um, we, don't need to, we don't need to get nervous and scared of that word. It's an okay It's a biblical word. So when we start talking about you have an anointing, um, it's okay. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm about God. That's a good thing. Um, so... The second thing, and this is, this is the opposite of one. One was, if you've left the church for good, you're not in Christ. This one's going to be in. You have the Holy Spirit abiding you. That's the second one. You have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. Or, you can, you can use the text even more literally. You have the anointing. Um, he abides in you. The anoint, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Whatever, you can, you, you can word it whatever way you want from verses 20 and 27. But one of the key um, ways that we can know that we are in Christ is that there's been a moment in our life where regeneration has happened. The Holy Spirit has come and quickened our hearts, um, revealed Christ to us, helped us understand the beauty of the gospel of Christ. We know what it means to understand the gospel and want Christ, and we put our faith in Him, and that the Holy Spirit has come to us. And when He comes into us, it brings us, as verse 20 says, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have, and you all, not you have all, but you all have knowledge. All of you now, because you've been anointed by the Holy One, have knowledge. You don't have all knowledge, but you have knowledge. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And when He comes into us, He teaches us more about Christ. He leads us into truth. Boyce says, He teaches the Christian by making the Word of God come alive as you read it. He teaches you, and it makes the Word of God come alive as you read it. If you want some more, I'm not going to go over, but if you want some more about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life, go to John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. Just read those two chapters. Um, this guy that wrote this letter wrote the Gospel of John, and he explains some of the work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. Write those down and, and read them tonight. Um, don't read them right now. Don't read them right now. <laughs> They're like... All right, listen, um, don't read them now. Just read them tonight, I promise you. The Holy Spirit, as you read them, will teach you. He tells you that in, verse, in chapter 16, that He leads you into all truth. Um, so then He tells us this. This is interesting. So one of the keys that we know we're in Christ is that we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, or we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. He, he gives us knowledge. He leads us into truth. And then 27 says this. This is pretty amazing, though. Um, but the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, 
I've actually had people come to me. You may have never experienced this, but I've, I've had people come to me and tell me, um, because I have the Holy Spirit now, um, I don't need man to teach me anything. That's what, we got it right here. I got a verse. First John two twenty seven. I don't need man to teach me. All I need is the Holy Spirit. And kind of piggybacking on verse 19, I can leave the church. I don't need the church anymore. I have the Holy Spirit. And I, 27 says, I don't need man to teach me. All I need is the Holy Spirit and he can teach me. Um, I would say a couple things. Um, well, let's ask the question. If that's the case, you have no need that anyone should teach you. Does this eliminate the need for me to be standing here right now? Should I just pray and dismiss? Because I'm teaching you. I don't think so. Um, clearly, I don't think so. But um, for a couple reasons. Number one is just right there in the context. Um, as John is writing this sentence, you have no, no need that I should teach you. He's teaching them as he's writing it. I mean, it's just pretty self-evident. He's writing a letter that's teaching them. So just from plain context, it, it, it can't mean that. And, and also, it would just totally contradict the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus tells us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nation, nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So Jesus himself, not that his words are more powerful than John's, because this is all the Word of God, it's all the inspired Word of God, it's all just as powerful. But Jesus tells us to teach. So, what does he mean? What does he mean when he says, you have no need that anyone should teach you? You have no need that anyone should teach you. Um... I don't know what he means. I don't know. I'm just kidding. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> I was been waiting to do that all week. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, remember the context here. Remember the context. The context. Um, now I'm going to point this out to you in 26. Look in tw- look what he says in 26. He says, "I'm writing to you about those who are trying to deceive you." In verse 18, he says, Antichrists are already here. In verse 22, he tells you that Antichrists um, are those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. So there's, there's a lot of context here about Antichrists and deceivers. And we know, as we looked at the entire book, that it's the Gnostics he's talking about. These Gnostics are the ones who have wrong theology. Um, they believe that... Um, Jesus was not a man because if you're a man, then you're made of flesh. And if you're a flesh, that's evil. And flesh is always evil. Therefore, Jesus could not have been human. He could only have been God. So the context in here is those who deceive you. Those who would always lead you astray. So you have no need that any man should teach you. And so the context is, seems to be saying that those who are deceivers, those who are the false teachers, those who are the antichrists, those are the ones that should not be listened to in regard to their teaching. It can't be that no one can teach you. That wouldn't make any sense. Contextually, um, and on, on the Bible as a whole, that wouldn't make any sense. So what he's trying to tell us is, um, in 27, that <clears throat> you've been anointed by the Holy One. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And He is going to teach you. He is going to lead you in all truth. Um, but this does not negate the fact that godly men or women that can be around you, that you can put in your life, should be able to speak into your life. That people that, 
that are not heretics, that are not antichrists, that are not false teachers, of course, they have the right to teach. And in Matthew 28, you also have been commanded by Jesus to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. All right, so the second one is that you have been anointed, you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. You have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. All right, so the third one is this. Let's go back over to verse 21. Let's go back over to verse 21. And, And next week, we're going to put it all together. I know I'm kind of skipping around, but next week, we would have done 18 through 27. 21, it says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. All right. The third thing to know that you're in Christ, or knowing versus not knowing that you're in Christ, the third one is you know the truth of the gospel. You know the truth of the gospel. Um, Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Now, what is the truth here? I've already told you what I think the truth is because I wrote it in my answer. It's the gospel. Um, But he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Um, As we've seen kind of all over, whenever he's saying... I came to you and I preached the gospel and I told you the truth. Um, he, he keeps constantly talking about his message. His message that he gave to you is, is the gospel. And so John affirms that they're in the faith because they know the truth of Jesus. And, and this is kind of the stark opposition to those that he's been talking about, the deceivers, the Gnostics. Um, they don't know the truth of Jesus. They don't have right theology. They don't even know the gospel. But these people, they are in Christ because they know the truth of the gospel. Now, this word gospel is, is used a lot. I, I, I try to say it very often because I want my preaching to be gospel-centered. But what does that mean? Um, whenever we're looking at this text and I keep saying, we need to know what John's trying to say, what's his main point he's trying to say, how does he support it? One question I ask myself as I study is, all right, now that we know the main point and now we know what John's trying to say and how he supports it, where's the gospel in that? Where's the gospel? Um, for... For a lot of us, growing up in Baptist life or in youth camp, um, Thursday night is whenever the gospel is preached. You know, we give a lot of helpful hints on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We make you feel real bad. Um, I, I spent, I'm using youth because I spent like 15 years in youth um, life. And so if you know exactly what I'm talking about because some churches do this. Um, but they, they try to make you feel real bad. They try to make you feel real guilty about your sin. And then they throw out the gospel as the, as the, the catch-all for all of you that aren't saved. And they say... For those of you that aren't saved, you need the gospel. Believe in Jesus, which is, which is true. I'm not, I'm not down in that. That's true. You need that. But it builds in the mentality to us that the gospel is just for unbelievers. And for us who are saved, we got that down. Now we're moving on to other things like you know, serving and memorizing and worship and whatever and love. But we're not moving on to a deeper understanding of the gospel. And if we don't have the gospel, we don't have anything. So that's why I say, where's the gospel? Because the gospel isn't just for unbelievers, it's for believers too. And this is what I mean. When you wake up in the morning and you feel like trash because you sinned all night um, or because your heart's just wretched and you don't want to be in the Word or you halfway through the day and you've had um, multiple occasions for temptation and you've given in to those temptations for sin, um, 
The idea is not, and we all default to this, the idea is not, oh, I'm so so stinking terrible. All I need to do now is try harder. I need to read my Bible and pray, and, and I need to go share the gospel with somebody. I need to tell them about Jesus. I need to, um, I need to work. I need to perform. I need to do. I need to do. I need to do. Um, we, we default to that. We think... In order for me, because I've had this bad night before, or I've had this bad morning, or at the very end of the day, I've just been terrible. All right, God, my whole day has just been awful. I've cussed out everybody I know. I got into a bunch of wrecks, and I did a whole bunch of stuff, or whatever. Being a wreck couldn't have sinned, but could be. Um, if you're wearing a Remedy sticker. No, I'm just kidding. Um, anyway, so um, at the end of the day, we just think, okay, I've done all this sin. In order to make up for my sin, i got to pray and read my Bible, so God will be happy with me now. Because I don't want God to be unhappy with me now right before I go to bed. So I've got to make it up. I've got to perform. I've got to do my duty as a Christian. Um, that's just not the gospel. That's, that's why Jesus got very upset with the Pharisees. And called them broods of vipers. And called them snakes and children of the devil. Because all they did was try to perform to earn God's favor. The gospel is when you wake up feeling like trash or in the middle of the day because you've sinned or at the end of the day is in Christ I'm righteous. I know the sin that I just did. I don't have to perform in order to have a right relationship with God. In Christ I'm righteous. So I'm going to preach the gospel to myself. It's not just for unbelievers. It's for me right now when I woke up this morning. I am righteous because of Christ. I'm going to preach that, that truth to me. God has made me holy. Therefore, I don't have to perform to earn righteousness or to earn favor. It's already been declared to me. And since it's already been declared to me, I'm going to live in light of that. I'm going to live because of that. That changes everything. Christianity is different than any other religion. Every religion says, in order to have favor with God... You need to perform. Christianity says, God has already done what needs to be done, and now your right relationship with God is there. It's always there. So you know the truth of the gospel. What is the gospel? If someone asks you, what's the gospel? What are you going to say? Are you just going to tell them it's asking Jesus in your heart? Are you going to tell them it's just putting your faith in Jesus? That's for unbelievers. Yeah, so that would be true. But what is it also for believers? You don't know the truth of the gospel just to know it. Just so you can say, I'm good. You know it because it's supposed to shape you. It's supposed to define you. It's supposed to change you permanently and it's also also supposed to start bleeding out from you and changing those around you who around you is being changed because the gospel has changed your life let me say it a different way because maybe this will be a little bit more convicting it convicts me who around you is not being changed because of the gospel I can think of a lot for myself. Now, my motivation in saying that is not to guilt you into 
going to share the gospel with people because you feel bad. I'm not trying to motivate you by guilt. I'm trying to motivate you by grace. God in Christ Jesus has forgiven everything in your life. Based on love, not guilt, based on grace, we should go out and tell others. Because He has loved us and forgiven us. So the third thing is that we know the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. And it's shaping and defining and doing everything in our lives. We're going to close here. And as we close, I just want to uh, kind of reach back to kind of that open illustration and maybe ask you where you are. Because I said... One of the assurances of salvation is not just righteousness, it's not just love, it's not just that we don't sin, it's not just that we're loving, but it's that we know truth. It's that we know truth. And if we, if we play church, and we look like Christians, and act like Christians, and smell like Christians, but we don't know truth, and we don't know Jesus. If we don't know the gospel, we don't know Christ. So are you playing David and Goliath in your life of being a Christian? Are people throwing rocks at you and you have no idea? Are you just playing a game? It's not a game. This is everything. The gospel is supposed to change us, shape us, define us. Those around us are supposed to, as Second Corinthians, I think, 1 says, um, those around us are to, supposed to smell our aroma. And the smell of our aroma is either supposed to be life or death. Those who are being changed into the image of Christ, our smell, our aroma, as we live the gospel out, and they put their faith in Christ, we're bringing the aroma of life. But for those who hate the gospel, as we live out the gospel, our aroma is supposed to bring death. Not because we don't like them, it's not because we want that to happen, it's because the gospel is so much a part of our life it's, they see their sin, they hate Christ so much, and it reminds them that they are permanently destined to die in hell. And it brings them the aroma or the stench of death. There is no middle ground. It's not like you can just kind of spray yourself with renews it and you don't smell. You're smelling. You're either bringing life or death to people. So let's, let's, not, let's not play church. Let's not pr- play Christian. Let's let the truth of this and, and have assurance of our salvation move us as we go through our life. We'll pick up later. Um, and I'll give some more information about that. But we're going to go into our, our time of response. And, and you know, I, I'm not sure where you might be. I'm not sure. Um, But this is what I want to do. We're going to go into a time where we sing and we're going to be motivated by joy in Christ to maybe express physically how much we love Christ. And so however God's wired you, uh, maybe you need to sit and pray and think for a little while. Maybe you just want to go ahead and stand and sing out. Maybe 
you just need to read your word, read the Bible some. However he's wired you, however he's leading you right now, I pray that you would do it. If you want to talk about this, if, you, if you're hearing what I'm saying and you're, and you're looking at your life and you're saying, my life and what you're saying aren't matching up, come talk to me. Let's have a conversation. It doesn't mean you're not in Christ. Let's talk about it. Maybe it means you aren't in Christ. I don't know. But you need to talk. You need to. If you're doubting or you don't know, look at that as a precious gift from God that you're doubting. That you can come and talk to me and we can, or someone with you, and you can know. I write these things so that you may know you have eternal life, 1 John 5, 13. God's desire is not for you to guess and wonder. Like, am I in? Am I not in? I don't know. His desire is for you to know. If you don't want to come during the service, I'll be here afterwards. Come talk to me. We'll have people afterwards that you can pray with, whatever's going on in your life. We're going to go into our time of response through song, and I just want you to be obedient to the the Holy Spirit's leading. Let me pray, and then we'll worship through song. Father, you're just so good. You're just so good to us. We, uh, we wander around. And a lot of times we wander around in our lives selfishly. I, I know the overarching theme of my life is Christ, but I know that when I get down into the day-to-day, I see lots of selfishness. I know that you're my Savior and I know that I love you. These things have been written so that I may know that I have eternal life and I thank you that I can have assurance of that. I pray for my friends here, if they don't have assurance, that you would begin working in them. Let them have conversations. Let them have prayer. Let them have the assurance that you've promised to us. May the anointing by the Holy One give them that assurance, teach them, lead them into truth, convict them of sin. God, I just pray that however we're being led right now, that we would... We would allow the Holy Spirit to take us there. Whether we want to pray, whether we want to think, whether we want to read, whether we want to stand and sing in absolute awe of the gospel because we've just been reminded that all of our sin is forgiven. That's just so beautiful. We love you. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.